0: Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com.
1: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli.
2: I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is William Thule from the beautiful island of Bermuda. And you're listening to the Tennis
1: Podcast. Well, hello, folks, and thank you very much to William in. Bermuda there, uh, friend of the podcast uh, in our intro. Thank you, William. Oh, to be in Bermuda right now. That sounds like a very, very lovely place to be uh, because the world in general is not a particularly lovely place to be right now. And that includes... In lots of different ways, the tennis world as well. We're going to talk about tennis. We're going to talk about the fact that there is a new men's world number one and it's not a member of the big four. Uh, We are going to talk about all of that, but somehow uh, there being a new world number one is very far from from top of the agenda. Unfortunately, um, it's another one of those weeks, and I'm sure there'll be many more to come where the bleakness of the geopolitical landscape is bleeding into the world of sport Um, and it's unavoidable that we have to talk about Russia's invasion of Ukraine, sovereign nation, players have been speaking out about it, players have been extremely affected by it, the repercussions in the tennis world, I'm sure we don't yet know exactly how, uh, how deeply they'll reverberate Um, obviously we've got a number of high-profile Russian tennis players at the moment, including the new men's world number one, Daniil Medvedev. Uh, We have Andrei Rublev that won a title this week, despite everything going on um, in his home nation. Um, Players have been pretty much unilaterally negatively outspoken about it, including those Russian players. I mean, Mike Dixon pointed out in his article this week uh that Andrei Rublev last week in Dubai awoke to discover that his country had invaded that of his doubles partner. That that doubles win uh that we talked about last week, Rublev and Molkanov, uh it turns out that that was a, a Russia Russia Ukrainian duo. Apologies that at the time uh our knowledge of Molkanov uh didn't extend to realizing that he was uh Ukrainian and the implications there. Um but uh he is And Andrei Rublev is one of those that has been particularly outspoken this week, particularly in the fact that he wrote no war please on the camera after his win against Hubert Hurkacz in the semi-final uh, in Dubai this week, a tournament that he went on to win, beating Yiji Vesely in the final. And He said, in these moments, you realise that my match is not important. What's happening is much more terrible. You realise how important it is to have peace in the world and to respect each other no matter what, to be united. We should take care of our earth and of each other. Um, Daniil Medvedev, who was playing in Acapulco this week um, and his his wife was seen courtside wearing, uh, very pointedly wearing yellow and blue colours, Um, He did a very poignant post on social media yesterday. Do you all remember what I've said after the Australian Open final? The story was just about me... My childhood and dreams. And today I want to speak on behalf of every kid in the world. They all have dreams. Their life is just starting. So many nice experiences to come. First friends, first great emotions, everything they feel and see is for the first time in their lives. That's why I want to ask for peace in the world, for peace between countries. Kids are born with inner trust in the world. They believe so much in everything, in people, in love, in safety and justice, in their chances in life. Let's be together and show them that it's true. Cause every kid shouldn't, because every kid shouldn't stop dreaming. Um, we've had the absolutely harrowing scenes of Ukrainian Diana Stremska and her youngest sister leaving Ukraine after spending two nights in an underground parking lot there from uh, Odessa. And uh, they left their parents behind. She spoke to Lekip and she said, Our father told me and my sister. Build a new life and always stay together. Don't worry about us. We'll be fine. Remember, no matter what, Ukraine is your motherland. I burst into tears, she said. It hurts so much. You really can't understand what a missile launch is without experience it, without feeling it. Imagine you're walking and suddenly you hear a huge boom, screaming in the street. People were screaming. I saw the war with my own eyes. I heard it. Um, so she and her younger sister have fled. They're currently... In Lyon, where both of them will be playing in a tournament this week, which is truly extraordinary. The WTA event in Lyon has given Yastremska a singles wild card uh, and both of them uh, a doubles wild card to to play together. Um, of course, there's a there's a ban on adult men between eighteen and sixty leaving Ukraine because they're required to to fight for the freedom of the nation. And Yastremska's mum decided. Bravely to to remain with her dad. It's all just it's all just extraordinary. We've had Alina Svitalina writing a, a heart wrenching post on on social media called "Letter to My Motherland" about her emotions towards Ukraine at the moment. She says that she's committing to redistribute her prize money of her next tournament support the army and huma- humanitarian needs and help them. Uh, to defend Ukraine. Um, I also heard her speaking to, to BBC Radio uh, 5 Live during their, their coverage yesterday. Uh, men's player Sergei Stokovsky has enlisted in Ukraine's reserve army. Uh, he did that prior to the Russian invasion. He's got no milita- military experience, but he says he's prepared to train and fight for his country. The ITF have cancelled all of their events taking place in Russia indefinitely. And we've had Iga Shvontek using her on-court speech um, after winning in Doha this week to talk about Ukraine and also um, posting a message on social media. It's all, I mean, it's all really bleak, first and foremost, David. That that almost goes without saying, except that it doesn't. It's just deeply depressing. Um, But it's also, you know, another story that that trashes the 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 suggestion that you know sport and politics don't mix you know that they, they do mix they are mixing they're inevitably mixing, but also they're a force for good, it's a force for good in this sort of situation,
0: yeah, just when you were referencing Leon giving yastreska a single's wire card and and her sister the doubles as well that just you know you're looking for little little crumbs of comfort aren't you and that's that's one little one right there and that's one thing with this situation unlike any other that i can remember is because all of this is playing out on social media that we're all across and and it feels like the the conversation the narrative is available to us all in that way these players be they russian ukrainian are all partaking in them and i I feel for them so much from from both perspectives. I can't imagine what it must be like to be in Ustremskas shoes and, and, and having to leave her parents like that. I can't imagine what Svitolina a lot far away and, as you said, reading her heart-rending post there, how she's feeling. And, and the Russian players who don't want to be part of this, they don't want this associated with them, they don't, they're proud to be Russian and yet this is not something they want in their name in any way and and I think that that was immensely brave of Andrei Rublev to write that on the camera and and to write no war please right at the start of all this and you know it, it must be something they have to weigh up in their mind as to what can I do what 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 might be the repercussions if I do and yet he still did that and uh what can i say that's that means anything right now other than i feel for them and and it's a it's a horrible horrible situation
1: now russia it, tennis rather is a is a sport of individuals there are there are team elements to it um but we have got team sports wrestling at the moment some better than others with the participation of of russia in their sports we've had fifa release what many, most people considered to be a pretty toothless statement saying that Russia will be allowed to continue competing um, in FIFA events, meaning the World Cup and World Cup qualifiers. Uh, they just won't be able to do so under the name of Russia and under the Russian flag or Russian anthem. Um, now, tennis is in a slightly different situation there in that it is individuals and um, and also, the we've got Davis Cup qualifiers taking place this week, but Russia aren't participating in them. And they're the reigning Davis Cup champions. Does that exempt tennis from having to wrestle with these issues? Or does tennis need to think... And when I say tennis, obviously, I'm talking about some mythical unified uh, governing body <laughs> um, that covers the whole of the sport, which absolutely does not exist. Um, but, you know, w- w- when the school boards come up um, at Indian Wells or whatever tournament it might be, do we want to be seeing a Russian flag um, on that school board? Or is it is it not fair to apply that to, to individuals or in terms of team competition do the i t f ATP with the ATP Cup uh do they need to be taking preemptive action to say Russia will not be allowed to compete what's your what's your feeling about that
0: yeah on a, it's a really difficult one, but when I look at those other sports and feel very strongly about the lack of action from FIFA and and I, I so admire the way other countries have said, "Well, I am not going to represent my country if we're playing against Russia." I have such respect for that, and yet I have to then look at the sport I work in and think that, yeah, on a on a national level, on for Davis Cup and for for Billie Jean King Cup, I think that as awful as it, as it is for those individual players that I've just referenced who would be underneath that flag, then it probably is exactly the right thing to do f- for team sports in in tennis as well and it even occurred to me you know h- how far should this go should should individuals be barred from playing professional sport if they're from that country and again i feel i have a knot in my stomach as i just say that that isn't fair on daniel Medvedev. that isn't fair on andre rublev but is there an argument for it i don't i don't know honestly i don't know but the There must be a conversation.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, I'm trying to draw comparisons between sports and it feels like what tennis needs to do is what the ITF has done in terms of first and foremost cancelling those events in Russia. Then you extend that to team competitions and and look, I do think that, that it's different when they're competing for Russia and I think Russia at the moment shouldn't be in the Billie Jean King Cup, the ATP Cup. I, I actually think yes, they should they should preempt that and they should be banned from those competitions at the moment. And that would be in line with what we've seen with other countries saying, I'm not going to play Russia in football, for example. I'm trying to think of the comparison in tennis in terms of players competing on the tour. That would be like, I suppose, saying, Well, Russian players can't play in the Premier League. Or can't play in La Liga, or you know whatever division it is. And I don't think there's been a suggestion of that in football, for example. Um, and I I think I agree with David that that would just seem really harsh to do that to Medvedev and Rublev and all and all all the Russian players currently on tour. But that's not to say that we might not get there eventually. Look, I I, I don't know. I don't I don't think I have the answer for this, but it's certainly a question that. Tennis, as you said, if there was a single body, needs to, be, needs to be asking itself and seem to be thinking about and doing something about, I think.
1: Yeah, sort of hiding behind the fact that it's, it's an individual sport seems, seems cowardly given that there is an opportunity to get out ahead of this and, and as you've said, preemptively announce something. Um, it, it's so, so difficult on the individual's thing. On one hand, I, th- I think Russia is not a democracy, it's very, very far from a democracy. So, so equating um, equating the government with the people is is unfair. You know, the the Russian people didn't didn't vote for this in a, in a democratic way. Um, and also, any support that Russian individuals might have for it, for me, is mitigated by the fact that there is not a free media in in Russia. But equally, change of regime in Russia can only be affected by the people if if not in a sort of democratic way that we know. You know, some sort of uprising by the people. Therefore treating them as responsible and you know, that could help foster anti Putin, anti regime sentiment and ultimately, you know, achieve achieve a goal as is unfair as it might feel in the moment. I don't know. I don't know. Goodness me, this is, you know, not not territory that we really are qualified to be on. Um, but and yet we are sort of, we're forced to think about all of these things. Um, look, I don't know. I don't know how many listeners we have in Ukraine. David can probably tell me off the top of his head because uh, <laughs> he spends all day and a lot of the nights as well studying the podcast stats, um, but I think we have a few and I don't know, you're probably not able to listen at the moment, but on the off chance that anyone in Ukraine or any Ukrainians or anybody that's recently fled Ukraine is listening right now, um, we support you and we are, we're thinking of you. Um, do you have the number to hand, David?
0: I, I don't, but I'll, I'll
1: get no. back to you. Well, David's, David's <laughs> let you down in your moment. I've been <laughs> Hey
0: there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great... Great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnbcom
1: Millions of people have
0: lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads
1: and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right?
0: For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I
1: am. But Noom worked for me.
0: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking.
1: In terms of the tennis, where should we start? Um, Should we start with Daniil Medvedev becoming the new men's world number one? Because that kind of that covers off both goings on in Acapulco, where Rafael Nadal has continued his, I'm going to say this a couple of times, unbeaten start to the 2022 season uh and <laughs> i can't believe it unbeaten start to the 2022 season um we haven't even gotten clay yet no i know i know it can, it, can, it, can, it can it can only go downhill on clay how is that how is that the case um no. it, it, what is is it 23 and, 0? It's, no, it's and 0 it's 15 and it's 15 and 0 15, where have I got 23 from? I, as I was saying it, I thought it sounded a lot. 15-0, and 0, you, all on hardcore. You, you've,
0: you've got him as the favourite for Indian Wells, Catherine, in is, your is mind. That what's, you're <laughs> is
1: that already thinking ahead been? two weeks. Well, he's he's unbeatable, <laughs> David. He's he's categorically, statistically unbeatable. So that's what happened um, in Acapulco. Um, and in Dubai, Andre Rublev won the title, Um extraordinarily so. Um, he beat Yuji Vesely, as I said, in the final. So neither Medvedev nor Djokovic featuring in either of those finals, but it was Vesely beating Djokovic 6-4, 7-6 in Dubai. P.S., uh, his, his second victory over Novak Djokovic he's 2-0 over Djokovic now both times Djokovic has been the world number one uh, at the time of their meeting it was that defeat from Djokovic that ensured that Daniil Medvedev would become the new men's world number one today Um, and yes it might have felt inevitable for for a little while now even Djokovic didn't he last week sort of nodded to that and said look it's going to happen eventually and when it does he'll be worthy of it and yet still it's seismic isn't it it is a drumroll please changing of the guard (laughs) have I have I gone too early on changing of the guard yeah
0: yeah yeah I think you have but and yet Oh, look, it's a massive moment, isn't it? What's the stat, Matt, in terms of Medvedev breaking in and being look, the one that's there was, done this? there was a
1: guard, David. The guard was the big four and it has changed. But I just feel like tell, they're going to probably me I'm wrong. wrestle it back. <laughs> <Is> that's <is laughs> my expectation. Yeah, no one's a, it's not, the phrase isn't permanent changing of the guard. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: Yeah, so Medvedev is the first man outside of the big four to be world number one since Andy Roddick on the 1st of February 2004. When you were how old, Matt? I was seven.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Folks, if that's not a changing of the guard, I don't know what is.
2: Uh, I'll give you that one.
1: Um, Okay, well, is he going to hang on to it then? Is it going to be a permanent changing of the guard? Will Novak Djokovic get back to world number one?
0: I would expect so personally i, I don't matt, I think wait, he, he
1: can't play the next two events
0: he's far from done
1: i'm not saying he's done i'm saying the amount that he can participate imminently is in question at best Also, and medvedev ain't, ain't going anywhere okay. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it? hang on you think the doll's going back to world this is ludicrous yeah, all of this is ludicrous what do
2: you think matt what do you think Catherine? come on I think they will get it back from him. Yes, I think...
1: They both, they... Pr- probably,
2: yeah. I, I, I could see Nadal getting number one this season and I could see Djokovic in, you know, next year, couple of years, getting it back again. And, you know, in terms of his aims for what he thinks he can still do in the sport, I think very much aligns with that.
1: Are you saying that Daniil Medvedev is... Is he going to be Yevgeny Kofelnikov? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I think Remind us what Yevgeny Kofelnikov did with his world number one, David.
0: Well, he got to world number one, I think, in about 1999. And he then proceeded to lose in the first round of his next six tournaments. Um, so, you know... It's one of those things, and look. Around that time, there were a lot of changes of the world number one spotter. Um,
2: I think Pat Rafter might have had it for about two weeks or two something weeks. like that. Six yeah. days,
0: yeah. Was what? it? Yeah. Oh,
2: crikey! Pat Rafter had it for six days, which Medvedev is guaranteed to pass. I think Medvedev's guaranteed to have it for three weeks.
1: It's like that. Um, there's the thing in um, for for U.S. presidents where they surpass. There was a, a president back in the day called William H. Harrison that was only president for sort of 40 days or something. I think he got ill or, you know, got consumption or something that people in the olden days got. Um, and there's a, it's a thing when you, when you surpass William H. Harrison so you're not the shortest-lived <laughs> president of the United States. Yes, folks, I learned that from Veep. Um, that's how highbrow I am. Um, okay, so staying with staying with the sort of events that led to Daniil Medvedev becoming world number one, Novak Djokovic losing to Yuji Vesely. Are you saying then that Djokovic Djokovic just has a Vesely problem, and uh, this is nothing to do with? the form of Novak Djokovic. I mean, I know we just don't have enough data to go on on the form and we're not going to get any for a while because he won't be able to play Indian Wells or, or Miami. But but what's going on there? Why did he lose to Izzy Vesely? I think he
2: does have a bit of a Vesely problem. Um, he, he played so well, first and foremost, would be what I would say about that match. I think a lot of the credit goes to Vesely. Um, he was in a position to win it even more comfortably and he... He got broken back when he was serving for the match for a 6-4, 6-4 win. And then I thought, okay, Djokovic has got him now. He's he's had that moment. He's fought back. He's got this incredible crowd on his side. And yet Vesely did not go away. In fact, he upped his game from there and played the most wonderful tie break. He... He reminds me game style wise. I mean, I know he's been around a while. We've, we've seen him play, but we haven't actually seen him play that much recently because he's he had COVID last year, which set him back. He was involved in a in a car accident as well, which took him a while to recover from. So he hasn't actually been on the scene much recently. He's dropped outside of the top 100. But game style wise, he does remind me a bit of uh, Manarino in that he's got an incredibly flat, backhand that he can just Mm. lean on and it can be quite deceptive with how hard he's hitting the ball and yet he's a much bigger man than Manorino, he's got additional power, he's got a big serve as well and that that unsettled Djokovic I think as well Um, so absolutely incredible performance from him and it, it wasn't his only one of the week you know he also beat Chilich and he beat Bautista Agu and he beat Shapovalov that's a, that's an incredible run to a final I think he was a little bit out of gas in the final but he he was excellent um in terms of what's going on with Djokovic I found I thought his level of tennis was was pretty good considering he hadn't played for a while um certainly that the match he played against Hachinov he really produced his best when it mattered in that match. You know, it, it, it was there for him, his tennis. Um, I I've, I've just found the whole Djokovic in Dubai interesting, you know, because it was it was like, to me, he'd been, I don't know, imbued with a new sort of sense of purpose a little bit in terms of why he was playing that event. You know, if you compare Djokovic outside of the slams last year, where often, often he was a little bit lacklustre, actually. It was, it was very clear that, The slams were what he was going for and obviously even more so as as he took on trying to win the calendar grand slam. But here, there was a real intensity to him in Dubai and that wasn't the issue. You know, he was was really fired up and motivated, almost trying to prove a point, I think. I just wonder how long that's going to last because if he can't keep playing the big events, then how long is he going to be able to keep up the intensity in a one-off week like Dubai? And as good as Djokovic is... I still think he needs matches because, yes, yes, his tennis was was there pr- pretty much, but it was also then not there a little bit against Vesely. So I st- I don't see how sustainable this is at the moment for Djokovic. But he's he's playing the long game with it, isn't he? And he's been he's been pretty clear about that in terms of hoping that the situation is going to change for him in the long run.
1: Which it very which it very well. Might. I mean, who knows what the picture will look like come come the clay court season, but something has to change extremely rapidly for him to be able to play. I, I think Indian Wells is gone now. Um, I, I suppose there's a chance things could change in time for Miami, but, um, but it's looking unlikely. What a weird situation to be in, just sort of sitting and waiting and hoping for, for various different countries to change their um, visa policy. Um, so that you're you're allowed entry to a tennis tournament, not knowing when you're going to play next. Extremely bizarre, um, but Djokovic loses. visually moves on to the final. Uh, Rublev wins that final. The extraordinary feat from Andrei Rublev for me, who was very clearly deeply affected um, by what was happening in Ukraine last week and will, will continue to be for a long time. He's he's a sensitive lad, Rublev, and I think it's easy to write him off. I, th- I think I've probably not written him off, but thought of him as he's so boyish, isn't he? You know, and he's got this cute relationship with Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova where he's the embodiment of little brother energy. You know, it's easy to think of him as a, as a bit naive and maybe not the guy that you'd expect to step up um, in this sort of moment and really take a stand. But I I think there's actually quite a lot to him, um, and I think he showed that in more ways than one this week. And I'm, I'm a big fan of him as a person, and um, I think he's quite sensitive, really. And you know, obviously, he's he's channeled it tennis tennis wise in an incredible way this week. Whether he can continue that, I don't know. I mean, the 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 burden of all of this, and I'm not suggesting it's the same as or anything like the burden on you know Dania Stramsko and you know those people that are that are fleeing their homes but it is a burden it's a burden that he's feeling um and i i just i i cannot imagine really um and i find it extraordinary that that he's won that title last week backed up the title from from a week before so what was becoming a title drought is now becoming a title um streak dominance streak yes that's That's the word, Matt. Um, He's a winning machine. Will he play Rafael Nadal in Indian Wells? Winning machine against winning machine. Something's got to give.
0: Could well do. Uh, In in the end, uh, I I was really impressed with Rublev as well. And and I, I wonder whether, in a way, just playing loads and loads of tennis matches might have helped him mentally a little bit to just not think about it for a while and and to just get on with hitting tennis balls as hard as he possibly can and and as you say, to back it up after winning in Marseille, I mean that's a tough turnaround, to go straight from Marseille to 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 playing in Dubai, different conditions Winning both of them, and you know, and playing doubles as well. I mean, it's it's incredible what he's done. And, and you know, he, he did say, "I'll have a week off now." Blimey, hope so for for Indian Wells. I mean, starts. that's
1: that's a pretty big deal for Andre Rublev. He basically didn't have an off season, did he? Because he played the Davis Cup, um, and then he was playing in um, in Abu Dhabi, sort of ten days less than ten days later in mid December, anyway. And then then he's at the ATP Cup. I mean, he just doesn't ever stop playing tennis i think he loves playing tennis possibly too much um uh, yeah so having a week off for him i think is a he might just sort of implode i don't know um but yeah winning winning machine can he translate it matt to to masters 1000 level that's that's the step up he's been unable to make thus far you know anything beyond the the 250 500 level he's he's hit a ceiling hasn't he
2: yeah that remains the big question for rublev to be honest um we've seen him get to finals of of masters 1000 events he has done winning at that level but there's always just been what was it uh Sitsipas, i think in monte carlo who who stopped him yeah i still have my doubts about that but I'm I'm pleased that we're at least back in terms of the winning Rublev that we saw a year ago, and he, he's picking up titles again. Um, and, and it was an incredible feat that that he pulled off this week. Um, obviously, everything going on in in the world that's affecting him deeply, um, and also just as David said, the quick turnaround. He he arrived in Dubai at 2 a.m. and had to play Dan Evans later that day. You know, he had absolutely no time at all to get used to the conditions. Uh, he came through against Evans. He, he, looked, he looked exhausted the whole week, to be honest. He played a lot of really, really long matches and difficult matches for him. But he came through them, played really well in the final. And then he, yeah, he said he's going to have two days in bed. So he's probably still in bed, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, all power to André Rublev. I, I, I hope he does keep it going.
1: Yeah, same, same. I've got a lot of time for Andre Rublev. So that was how things went down in Dubai, over in Acapulco, as we've already spoiled. Rafael Nadal won the title. Uh, he beat Cameron Norrie in the final 6-4, 6-4. Amazing stuff from Norrie to, to back up um, what he did in Delray Beach last week. D- beat Stefanos Tsitsipas in the semi-final. I did not give him much chance at all. Um, in that semi-final, as a as a WhatsApp as a WhatsApp chat that I had with with Matt, at sort of one o'clock in the morning on on Friday, uh, will will attest that did not age well at all. I sort of I dismissed the possibility of staying up for that to be any kind of a match at all. Um, but I did did want to stay up for Nadal against Medvedev, which was the semi-final match, of course, repeated the Australian Open final. Um, but it was at four o'clock in the morning, and I was tired and a bit tipsy so I didn't um, and I didn't miss an epic because Nadal beat Medvedev 6-3 6-3 I mean he's he's got the number of the new world number one I mean he's got everyone's number at the moment hasn't he but he's got Medvedev's number
0: There was one epic game, I think, at 3-2 in the second set, which lasted about 20 minutes, um, and it was just full of extraordinary rallies, which you kind of felt like if Nadal didn't win that, maybe things might have been a little different. But at the same time, you know... Nadal won it, and that's the thing that's been happening. He's won all the really important turning point games, and I still can't quite get my head around this form from Nadal so far this year. On this surface, we reel it off 15 out of 15, but this is not normal for a man of his age and recent physical fitness, lack of physical fitness. He was on crutches a few months ago, and... He's playing and beating the best tennis players in the world repeatedly on a surface that isn't supposedly doing him that many favors to his knees. I mean, how is he doing it? It's he's becoming a better tennis player is the is the answer I think. I, I mean, look, I think he's in good form. I think he's obviously physically fit. I didn't think he'd play Acapulco after winning the Australian (laughs) Open. I didn't understand why he was really trying to play it. (laughs) But but I mean, look I guess he's getting paid handsomely and it's a lovely place to go and all the rest of it, but he's just keeping it rolling. And he looks in great physical condition, but his tactical ability now, his his use of slice and short angles and drop shots and volleys and goodness knows what, it, it feels like he's having fun exploring the the extreme extremities of his game the limits of what he's able to do and he's he's using it now to beat younger maybe faster maybe stronger human beings these days just by messing them about and it's it's a it's a real joy to watch
2: Mm. yeah and in terms of having Medvedev's number, he's got a 5-1 head-to-head lead now against Medvedev, and all of those matches have come on hard courts. And, you know, in the last couple of years, I think of Medvedev as right, right with Djokovic, pretty much, as as the best hard court player in the world. And yet Nadal has, has not managed to beat Djokovic on a hard court for a long, long time. And yet he really has figured out how to beat Medvedev. You know, it's a sort of classic example of of tennis being matchups because Medvedev has has caused Djokovic a lot of trouble on a hard court in that time as well. And yeah, Nadal exploring his game and using it is is so interesting to watch at the moment.
1: Matt, we saw Nadal deploy so many different tactics um, in his attempts to, to, well, stages just to try and get a foothold in that that final in Melbourne. Which of those tactics did he come onto court with um, in Acapulco? This week, which did he? So what learnings were there from that Australian Open final? Well,
2: as David said, the slice I think was one. You know, I think I think that is a weapon for him against Medvedev. I actually went into that semi-final in in Acapulco thinking nadal was the favourite, to be honest. Whereas I went into the Australian Open final thinking Medvedev was the favourite, and I think. I had a switch because of the Australian Open final. I think that just gave Nadal so much confidence in that matchup that he could figure it out. Also, he was playing really well throughout the week in Acapulco. You know, he'd won, he'd won a couple of six love sets. I think he was just he was in really good form. I think he likes the conditions, um, and yeah, I think it's it's easy to take a week like Acapulco, a five hundred, a bit for granted after just off the back of a slam. But actually, you know, I. I still remember so vividly everything that I've said in Australia about how close he was to not competing at this level again. And, you know, I just think you saw the joy on his face in Acapulco. That was why he was playing. You know, he is he's happy to be playing again and able to play again. And while he feels fit and healthy and able to do so, I think he's going to keep playing. And at the moment, if he's going to keep playing, he's going to keep winning because he's playing that well.
1: And look folks if if you're all if anybody's feeling a bit down about you know the state of state of the world at the moment I would urge you to check out the images of Nadal in his sombrero uh, grinning like a Cheshire cat with his um pear shaped acapulco trophy it's it's a tonic <laughs> and uh, and I highly recommend it the 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 pictures of uh, Sitsipas and uh, partner Feliciano Lopez doing the same with their doubles doubles trophy also in sombreros also enjoyable um so just want to signpost that for anybody any anybody in need of a boost which let's face it is all of us um now staying with acapulco uh, another huge story there this week um frankly one that in a normal week would would lead the agenda i think um but we're in we're in far from normal times um alexander zverev uh was withdrawn from the tournament midway through after calling umpire alessandro germani and apologies to to david's mum here a fucking idiot and then very aggressively smashing his racket against the umpire's chair um, extremely close to the umpire's feet four times after the match um, as he was sort of approaching his own chair and then he, you know, went back, did some stuff with his bag and then went back to the umpire's chair to give it another big smashing. Um, this was after a doubles match with partner Marcelo Melo. They lost to Lloyd Glasspool and Harry Heliovara, um, and Zverev was was angry about a line call that had happened at 8-6 in the match tie break. They were extremely ugly and uncomfortable scenes. Um, it felt vicious. It felt really, really vicious. Um, he was fined $40,000 um, for that, which is the maximum permitted um, on site and... Um, of course, he was withdrawn from the tournament. He's forfeited his ranking points and his prize money from Acapulco. The ATP have said they will review further and could yet do more. Um, I understand that the maximum punishment available to them is a year-long ban. Whether they will activate that or anything close to that, um, very much remains to be seen. Uh, Zverev has been chosen by Germany to play in their Davis Cup qualifier this week in Brazil. Captain Michael Coleman said, we're happy that he's on board. His behaviour in Acapulco was unacceptable and wrong without a question. He recognised that and apologised. We want to help him as a team now to overcome this difficult phase. Um, He has apologised, I should say, um, in an Instagram post um, he does love a, uh, an, an Apple notes apology does Alexander Zverev. Um, it's quite a good apology. He does, you know, take ownership of his actions. I would say he doesn't directly apologize to umpire Alessandro Germani, who, for whom it must've been a quite frightening moment, actually. Um, he didn't seem in control of his actions, certainly. Um, Now, just for for reference in this scenario, Fabio Fanini, for for his indiscretions a few years ago, got a two-slam ban, but that was suspended on the understanding that he doesn't commit another major offence. He was also fined $96,000, reduced to $48,000. Effectively for, for good behavior. Uh, Kyrios was banned for 16 weeks in 2019 for his behavior during Cincinnati, which included calling Fergus Murphy a fucking tool. Um, but he, that we, he was put on six months probation. Um, and, you know, at the time he said, I can still play, I just have to keep a lid on my behavior. Um, what do you both think is the appropriate ban here? And what do you think is the punishment that will actually be dished out, if any?
0: Well, I I did the research into those comparisons because I wanted to try to remember what Fanini got for his appalling words that he used in the direction of umpire Louis Engzel at the time at the US Open and then Kyrgios um in his outburst and I think I remember him s- smashing rackets in the corridor or going off for a toilet break that he didn't need just so he could smash rackets but it was actually the way he spoke to the umpire both of those two circumstances just made my stomach turn at the time you know we we often talk about how we love aggro on this show but this this isn't the same thing in any way there's a there's a fun feel to the aggro that I like, which is the sort of Yulia Putintseva against Victoria Azarenka scene of this last week where, you know, they're, they're mouthing off against each other and one's calling a timeout just before the other one's about to serve and all that sort of stuff. It, that's funny, uh, if maybe a bit out of order at times. This is not that, and neither were those two circumstances. And I I feel like this is one of the worst I've ever seen in terms of on-court behaviour by a player. This appalled me, the way he, he went up to that umpire and he was shouting abuse in his face. And then he smashes his racket within an inch of his foot four times. And he's, after each one, he eyeballs the umpire as if to say, do you get it now? Do you get it now? Have you had, have you, have you, have you understood now that, that it's your fault? That's how it came across. That's how it felt. And I hated that. That was bullying. And, and he was trying to... I felt he was trying to intimidate that umpire. And I just... I've thought of all the other things that I can come up with, like John McEnroe smashing the ice bucket in those scenes in Sweden many, many years ago that we included in our... Worst aggro moments ever or top ten aggro moments ever um and to me my my conclusion is that he that they must go further. I think that they should suspend him, I think he should miss tennis tournaments as a result of this not not suspended sentences. I think he should get a ban for this. I think he needs to be given a message. That how unacceptable this is. I know he's written that, and he, as you say, his apology is pretty unequivocal, but it is written in on Instagram. Now, for all we know, that could have been written by a PR person. It's very, very well written. Now, that may not be doing him a disservice. He may f- have left that court and felt terrible about it, and I hope he did, and immediately decided to write that. Now, I don't know the answer to that. I suspect he would probably be more likely to get the kind of suspended sentence that they've been given um, as a kind of carrot for further good behaviour. But I just feel like a message needs to be sent out, not only to him, but everybody else on the tour, that this will not stand.
2: I agree. And I think that last point is important as well, because mainly this is a Zverev problem. This is his awful behaviour and as as you said i think it was to intimidate to threaten it was as bad as i as i've ever seen um it's it's also part of the environment that the sport has cultivated a little bit in the last few years which is improper treatment of umpires now this is worse than than a lot of what we've seen but You know, we've also seen players call umpires corrupt. We've seen them verbally abuse them regularly. We've seen them generally be really rude to umpires. And, you know, there are lots of different offenders there, um, especially on the ATP tour. And, you know, some of those offenders are people we, you know, we sort of traditionally think as nice guys and they've apologized for it and we've moved on. But I think there's a culture there. There is a culture of treating umpires poorly, which the ATP needs to, stamped down on, I think. And in this case, I think pretty much, I think the maximum possible, you know, the maximum possible punishment they have available to them would be appropriate considering how bad it is.
1: If you're not giving the maximum for this, what what is the maximum there for? I've never seen anything as bad. So you'd have to, I don't know, punch an umpire on the court to get the maximum ban. I mean, I I don't know. I just you know i've i've not seen anything as bad as this um and i you know what are what are those mechanisms there for if not for for behavior like this but look we will see um there's also the outstanding um investigation into allegations of um domestic abuse uh, by alexander zverev there's still no no update on that we'll people are chasing including David has been chasing for an update we've been told that once the investigation is concluded um, we will know more but um, yeah no no material update since since October Um, just one one last bit of business from Acapulco um, unfortunately also involving uh, Zverev which was that uh, Acapulco set a new record for the latest finish. To a day's play in tennis, 4.55am, eclipsing Hewitt versus bagdatis from the 2008 Australian Open, which finished at a mere 4.34am. Uh, now, Acapulco, they don't start their matches till early evening because it's kind of too hot to play in the day. And they did have three of the longest matches in tournament history back-to-back. Isna beating Vadasko in three hours 13, Kozlov beating Dimitrov uh, in three hours 21, and then the final match, Zverev beating Brooksby at three hours 20. So yes, you know, there's not much legislating for having three matches of those sorts of lengths back-to-back. However, however, Dennis needs to not be doing this matches shouldn't start past midnight probably even past 11pm but let's start with midnight I mean come on there is no other sport that does this could, could and could you not at that point yes I think
0: that starting at that time is the right thing because of the the conditions and matches go long, but surely when you get to that point you just have to say all right everybody you've had a crack in nights entertainment already because matches have gone long Yes, it means players might have to play twice in a day, but we're not starting this match. You know, it's ridiculous. Or,
1: or move it to, as they did with um, it was Kenepi Sabalenka, wasn't it? That they moved to the second court in Australia when when it was clear how long things were going on the Rod Laver Arena. You you could do that. Mm. Um, just just do anything, but start matches after midnight and finish them at at five a.m. I think.
2: And tennis has got this weird thing of celebrating that, mm. you know like like it's some sort of amazing achievement that that the sport's gone on to five a m in the morning it's insane, and look i I get there are cultural differences, and you know midnight here is maybe not the same as midnight in Acapulco.
0: and they did have a crowd even even though i don't it know was how a really they did. Good crowd. there was a great
2: crowd there was an atmosphere, but that is really good for no one players staff tv viewers it's it's ridiculous
0: although can i can i just very quickly say that the the few people that wrote to me and said well that's why he behaved the way he did because he was so exhausted after the late finish get out of here
1: yeah no we're not no we're not even discussing that um (laughs) yeah sort sort it out tennis sort it out Uh, i don't think it will though because as you say it's a badge of honor isn't it um the biggest event of the week in terms of in terms of ranking points was the wta 1000 event happening in in doha and yeah again ordinarily in a a different week this would have been far higher up the agenda but um it was there was no no major drama it was just a week of. Really good tennis, particularly great tennis from Iga Svontek, who thrashed Annette Conservate. 6-2, 6-love in the final. She won the last 10 games of the match from 2-all in the first set. That's her second WTA 1000 title. Uh, you might remember that the last one she won was in Rome, where she lost zero games in beating Karolina Pliskova in the final last year. Now, Annette Kontovate herself had been the one to stop the extraordinary role of Yelena Ostapenko. So, I, you know, my eyes, honestly, were on Kontovate here. That felt, that win over Ostapenko felt really big. Um, so for them to just get the get the beat down that she got from Svantec was, I mean, I know Svantec can just go into this lockdown mode where she just, doesn't lose games, but but it was breathtaking, Matt.
2: Yeah, it was. I was like you. I was I was thinking Contivate probably for that match, considering the form she's in. Um, I think a really significant win for Sviontek was beating Sakari in the semi-finals. And Zach- they
1: didn't have a great head. To, she didn't have a great to head head to head going into that, did she? Yeah,
2: that's right. Sakari had really had Sviantek's number last year, winning all three of their matches, and I think I think in straight sets as well. So. Important for Sviontek to win that. And then she just was relentless and ruthless in the final. And remember in Australia, we were talking about Sviontek learning to win without playing her best and, and how important that is and how she's figuring out winning three set matches. I mean, it must be nice to then sort of be able to fall back on this sort of tennis in, in some of the biggest matches she's ever played in her life. You know, the the 1000 event finals, all of those matches at Roland Garros, she has had this tennis. You know, I think being able to do both, you know, that's that's the dream. And I think... It's doubly impressive because, you know, she's working with a new coach, isn't she, um, this season? And that, that is really working, I think. I think she's someone who would have put a lot of thought into that coaching change. I'm sure it wouldn't have come lightly, that decision. And I think she would probably need results maybe to to sort of, in her own mind, think that it was going well. And And she is getting those results. And... Yeah, it seems like she's being more aggressive than ever is, is kind of the word she's using. And and not just aggressive in one dimension. You know, she's she's being aggressive in different ways. Having different ways to beat power players is something she said she's she's learning. And she did that brilliantly this week. Zachary, Sabalenka, Kontave, all big hitters. And she just sort of out-hit them. So really, really impressive from from Sviontek. And I think this whole month of... February has set up Indian Wells and Miami pretty nicely for the women because, you know, obviously Barty has, has sat it out. She's head and shoulders the best player in the world at the moment, but there's been a lot of players, Sviontek, Sakary, Contivate, Ostapenko, have been really consistent in February and winning a lot of matches. And I'm interested whether they can take that to Indian Wells and sort of mount a bit of a challenge against against Barty. You know, that that really feels like, WTA question right now and, and there's a lot of players putting themselves in that position.
1: Thought you thought you were going to put say in in the mix there for <laughs> well, a very moment. Carefully Matt, didn't. But you managed to hold back. Uh, I'm gonna add Sloane Stevens potentially into that mix or like a sort of pre mix. Uh, she won the title in Guadalajara this week. That's her first title since twenty eighteen, uh, and her seventh career title. She's also um entered to play in Monterey this week. So we'll see if she can get on a roll. She beat Marie Brzkova in the final 751662. And we had the ATP event in Santiago, which was won by Pedro Martinez, who beat Sebastian Baez 466464 for his first career title. Um, On the Challenger Tour this week, we had Jack Draper of um, winning a set... Uh, against Novak Djokovic in the first round of Wimbledon fame. Also, of course, having that run at Queen's uh, a couple of weeks before Um, and has sort of disappeared from view since then. Periodically, sort of at the end of last season, I would check up on his results and um, he wasn't really doing anything at challenger level. Well, he is now. Um, He's won consecutive challenger titles, this one in Forli, Italy, and he's on a 10-match winning streak, which has got him into the top 150. Now, this is what's required, isn't it? Doing that challenger grind, just making win it, winning a habit, slowly chip away, chipping away at that ranking. Um, and eventually, you know, he's not far off now getting into main draws of, of Grand Slams or getting into qualifying of Master Series and that kind of thing. That's where he needs to get himself. He just needs to keep going with, with that grind. And I'm sure it's hard, you know, going to these tournaments week in, week out in you know, in not particularly lug- luxurious uh, surrounds, but just trying to clock up those wins. So good mm-hmm. on him.
0: And, and actually, just getting to that sort of ranking, top 150, this is where it can start to become more sustainable, can't it? More easily if you can start getting into those bigger tournaments that, where the points are. It, he, It does feel like he might have really broken a, a barrier here by by because you've got to force your way through these challenges. Uh, I mean... It's it's been a lot longer coming, but Liam Brody's starting to get into these these grand slam draws and one or two first round wins and suddenly you are getting in them anyway, uh and, and so on and so on and it goes because we've seen that with Norrie and um and Dan Evans from a Great Britain point of view. So the fact that Draper is still the age he is and, and has done that now, yeah, this could this could be it really.
1: What what's it? What's it? What, it's the what's moment that? of what's that rival, prediction Catherine? Yeah.
0: He's going to be a top 50 player before you know it.
1: It is being a top 50 player. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Before I know it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So this week uh, we've got two two WTA events, one in Lyon, one in Monterey. Um, uh, Camilla Georgie is the top seed in Lyon. We've also got... Saranaka Steyer, Elise Corne um, and, of course, Dania Stremska. We wish her well. Um, and then that WTA event in, in Monterey, where Alina Svitolina is is the top seed. And we'll get to see Leila Fernandez, who hasn't been playing that much tennis. She's played a pretty light schedule because she lost early um, at the Australian Open, didn't she? So um, eyes on Leila Fernandez to see um, see what she can put together. And then in terms of the men's, it's a Davis Cup qualifiers week this weekend who who have we got playing in that matt
2: there are lots of ties around the world uh we've got france ecuador in in po which is where i had my year abroad um we've got argentina czech republic and buenos aires we've got norway kazakhstan usa colombia loads of them taking place
1: so that's it for your week in tennis um what a week! We um, hope that the next one uh, bears some slightly more uplifting news, but who on earth knows? At the moment, we'll be uh, we'll be here to bring you another podcast. Whatever, um, I'm scheduled to travel out to Indian Wells next week, um, so I'll be bringing you um, uh, on the ground reporting from uh, from the. From Tennis Paradise, that's what they call it, isn't it? Um We have a weekly mascot this week, and it is either Bowie or Bowie. I'm assuming that he's named after the great David Bowie. Uh, are you a Bowie or a Bowie, David? Bowie. But that was sort of a hybrid of the two. Could you say it again? Bowie. <laughs> You're just saying something weird, Matt. Are you a Bowie or no, a Bowie?
2: I'm, <laughs> I'm a Bowie.
1: You're a Bowie, okay? I think David um, is a
2: Bowie as well.
1: I- is he? Yes. Thank you, okay. Matt. Okay. <laughs> right. Uh, we'll we'll go with Bowie then. Uh, Bowie is lovely. He's owned by Jane. He's seven years old. He has some German Shepherd heritage and also black mouth mouth cur which is not a breed i'm familiar with. Uh but he's absolutely lovely. Uh in this picture he's smiling and he's got the uh one ear up one ear down look. Great eyebrows. Is... Which is one of my faves, yes. He's got great expressive eyebrows. uh, And that picture uh, will be in our newsletter. So subscribe to that. Um, I'll pop it on Instagram as well. uh, So make sure you follow us there. And on Twitter, of course, we're everywhere, folks. Uh, We have our own mascots. I've got Carter. I went for Bedossa this week. Didn't go well. David's got Darwin. Matt's got Gerald. Uh, Any successes there, predictions-wise? Nope.
2: Nope. Nightmare. (laughs)
1: No, <laughs> okay. Uh, I went we for Djokovic
0: have... and I still didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: we have uh, Billie Jean, who's got uh, her sponsors, Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. Uh, we have our two executive producers, Kyle Weingartner and Chris Albert-Lee. They are both top blokes. And we have our shout-outs.
2: We have Penny Scott Francis from Car in Surrey.
1: Oh, that is a great name.
2: Right, Penny. Thanks so, so much for your support. Penny.
1: makes me think of Penny Lane. Mm, lovely name. And Carl Shultz... Well, you've moved a bit further away now, Matt, but that's sort of not far from mm. your neck of the woods mm. or previous neck of the woods. Uh, hello, Penny. Thanks very much for your support. We have Kelsey Turner from Philadelphia. <laughs> Billy Jean is a big fan of Kelsey. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Uh, Kelsey's
0: uh, probably a very different spelling, but li- like the amazing. Well, yeah, Billie Jean's not a fan of this particular comparison, but uh, brilliant Kansas City Chiefs uh, tight end, Travis Kelsey.
1: I was going to say Kelsey Anderson, wife of Kevin. Right.
2: Oh, yes. Yes. Mm. And Kelsey says she got back into tennis during the pandemic, found the podcast. And I've loved going back to listen to all the relived episodes. Still working my way through, she says.
1: Oh. Love that. Thank you very much, Kelsey. Thank you.
2: And last one today we have and wait for this. Rajesh Sam Ebenezer Kardam Bhavanam David. From
1: no. from
2: Towson, Maryland.
1: You've just thrown a David in at the end there. <laughs> Billy Jean's f- fuming that she's not in there. <laughs> um very oh my god. Billy Jean. Billy Jean. Quiet. 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 Big fan of Ebenezer. very big fan of Ebenezer Um, thank you very much Rajesh Uh, that's a truly majestic name and we appreciate your support very much indeed Um, we'll be back with another tennis podcast next week of course Um, stay safe stay well Um, we send our support to Ukraine and we will speak to you soon
0: here's a cool fact